The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Well, sometime there's been a need for a series in which we, upon which we want to embark tonight. It may not be an unbroken series, it may not, however, be a real long series. When I say it won't be unbroken, you may think we're going to stretch it out a long time and I don't really intend to do that. We talked some about saving this until after our meeting in November and making up to up until that time a distinctly evangelistic emphasis in much of our teaching and preaching. But I believe it's altogether in order that we uh, get started in what I believe is a very vital theory, something that perhaps we should have been studying more even earlier. Having said that, let me say that tonight I want to think with you about the work, and later we will consider together qualifications of those who serve as pastors or elders, overseers in the church of our Lord. Now you may wonder just a little bit about that particular order, work first and then qualifications later, but let me make a defense at that point, I believe this is the order we ought to follow. You see, you have Christians. We need to be in order that we might do. When we understand what we are and who we are, when we understand, for example, that we as Christians are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, in the language of 1 Peter 2 and 9, and an awareness of what we are and who we are enables us better to do. And I want to suggest that the elder must be in order that he might do. But we can better understand what he is to be when we understand what he's to do. When we look at the work and when we come to have a clearly defined, distinctly delineated conception from the New Testament, as to the real nature of his work, then we can understand why there are certain characteristics, attributes, qualities, qualifications that he must possess. The qualifications that are given in the New Testament are not arbitrarily given. These do not represent decisions that were made without reason. But God has given qualifications. We have them, for example, in the case of elders, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1. We have qualifications for deacons, specially appointed servants or ministers who serve with and under the elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We have the qualifications of the enrolled widow, the widow who is to be taken into the number and who, in my own conviction, is not simply a passive recipient of the benevolence of the church, but she has a ministry. And the qualification stated in 1 Timothy 5 might tell us something about her ministry. If she has brought up children, if she has washed the same feet, etc. In the letters to Timothy and Titus, we don't say much about this. It may be understandable as to why preachers wouldn't say a lot about it, but the truth about the matter is you have qualifications characteristics of the evangelist, the preacher of the word, through these letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus. In every case where you have qualifications given, and this is one reason 
for my conviction with regard to the enrolled widow. In every case where you have qualifications given, you have a ministry to be performed, a work to be done. And we need, by the way, to understand the term office in terms of a work. We don't think in terms primarily of one's name on the letterhead, but we think rather in terms of a work or a ministry to be performed. The truth of the matter is that when in our English Bibles we have the expression office of a bishop, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 we actually have just one word in the language of the New Testament which might be translated overseership. If a man desires an overseership, he desires a good work. And he's talking here primarily about a function or a work. And so we have qualifications and a work to be done. But I believe the best way to understand the qualifications is to look first of all at the work. And when I see what the work really is, what the ministry or function really is, then I can understand why particular qualifications are given. Now, at this point, I probably don't need to tell you, this isn't going to be a stirring oration tonight. I hope you didn't come expecting that. I'm going to be teaching. This lesson will be a kind of teaching lesson, but I think very vital. Using your testament, particularly just a bit later, when we look at some of the great passages, I think will be particularly helpful. But before looking at such passages as Acts 20, 28 through 30, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4, Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17 and 18, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. These and other passages will figure prominently in our study. Before looking at those passages, I want us to look at three words in the language of the New Testament translated by about five or six words in our English Bible. I want us to do that because these words, particularly two of the three words that are used in the Greek Testament, will tell us something about the work. Now, one of the words, a translation of which we most commonly use to refer to this particular work, doesn't tell us much about the work, really. From the word presbyteros in the language of the New Testament, we get the word elder or presbyter. The truth of the matter is, but this particular word does not tell us about the work. It actually means an older man. Paul uses the word to refer to himself, though he's not saying, as Peter does in 1 Peter 5, that he served as an elder in the sense of this particular work or function. It can just mean an older man. And so he writes to Philemon as Paul the aged. And we have presbytes, a form of this word there, a feminine form of it, appears in Titus uh, chapter 2, where the older women are to teach or to train the younger women. It becomes apparent then that the word does not necessarily refer to a particular office in the church. It can be used in a very general way. Paul uh, writes to Timothy, telling Timothy that he's to rebuke not an elder but in freedom as a father. And we have this word, a form of presbyteros, used there. He goes on to say that the older women are to be treated as mothers, the younger men as brethren, the younger women as sisters in all purity. The context demands that we understand this word, elder here, to mean not one who serves as an overseer, or at least not limited to that, but just to an older man generally. So that's the, word, the way the word can be used, there are places in the New Testament, 
as in Acts 20 and 17, when Paul calls the Ephesian elders to Miletus. Now, here's that word in the plural that means an older man. But in this case, these are elders, older men, who are serving in a particular work. And the context makes that very clear. This word, then, presbyteros, translated elder or presbyter, doesn't tell us about the nature of the work, but rather tells us that the one who does serve in this capacity is, and this is admittedly a relative term, but he is an older man. Interestingly, the term uh, used older in the New Testament and in New Testament times were used a little differently than they are today. Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12, saying, Let no man despise thy youth. And Timothy would seem to have been in his 30s, maybe his mid-30s at that time. I've long said that's a wholesome doctrine and full of comfort. I'm now looking for the passage where Paul uses that term when Timothy's just a little bit older having gotten into the next decade of his life. I haven't found it. If you find it, you let me know. But anyway, presbyteros means an older man. So it doesn't tell us about the word. Now there's another word, episcopal. And this is translated bishop or overseer. This does tell us something about the word. Overseer here, though, from this particular word, suggests the idea not simply of an autocratic executive position, but that kind of oversight or superintendent that goes along with ministration and visitation. In fact, there are some other words in the New Testament, ten to episcopal, translated to mean ministration or visitation. This gives us some idea as to how the oversight is carried on. Well, this word, it appears, for example, uh, in Acts 20, 28, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's this word. And this word does tell us something about the word. These men who are appointed to serve as, and you can use any one of a number of terms, there are three terms in the Greek New Testament, but they're, they're translated, each one of them, by two English words. So you can use terms like elders or presbyters, or overseers, or bishops, or pastors, or perhaps even shepherds, and those who serve in this capacity are to oversee. And one of the words suggests that about the word. Now there is a third word in the Greek New Testament. Poimene, translated pastor or shepherd. I believe that this word tells us a great deal, perhaps as much as any of these terms, about the nature of the word. The word appears in the plural form in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, there's the word, and teachers. The word appears in a verb form in 1 Peter chapter 5, about verse 2. Peter has exhorted the elders here, and then he says, feed the flock of God, the King James. The American Standard and other translations translate, perhaps preferably, tend the flock of God. It could be translated, shepherd the flock of God. And incidentally, a form of this, the verb form, appears in the Acts 20 passage. Uh, as the overseers there are told to feed or tend the flock of God. So this word, translated shepherd, tells us quite a bit about the word. And I would like to recommend that one of the most helpful things in understanding what is involved in this great work 
would Peter turn to John 10 and read that chapter. I'll not attempt to do that now in your hearing, but I would like to recommend that you do it for two reasons. For one thing, you'll come to love your Lord more. You'll appreciate him more. You'll see what the good shepherd is really like, and admittedly, the passage is not talking about the under-shepherds primarily. Jesus is rather saying, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice, and they know my voice, and they follow after me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, for my Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of the Father's hand. Not the impossibility of apostasy, but great security. And security from any external power that might wrest us from our position of security is taught there in John 10, about verses 27 through 29. And this is a sample of the kind of emphasis you have in the chapter as you read through it. And it's Jesus talking about himself as the good shepherd. But indirectly, a secondary purpose and vital to our study tonight is, in defining his own role as the good shepherd, we see something of the great ideal toward which the under-shepherd strives, because the good shepherd knows the sheep. That's a pretty big task right there. He knows the sheep. They know me, he said, and they know my voice, but he also affirms, I know my sheep. Furthermore, he leads. He does not drive, but he leads the sheep. He feeds the sheep. He tends the sheep. He loves the sheep. And then we come to a part of the passage in which we see the sacrificial and unselfish nature of his, of his love as he points out that when danger comes, the hireling flees because he cares not for the sheep. But the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd would sacrifice himself, and that he actually did, for the sheep. He loved the church and gave himself for it, is the way Paul puts it in the very familiar Ephesians 5 passage. Now from this we come to see that since the elder is a poimane, since he is a pastor, since he is a shepherd, then he is one who is to know the sheep. He's concerned about people first and programs second, and programs only as they relate to people. But he's concerned about knowing people because this represents. And these are the sheep of the flock, and so he must know the sheep, and lead the sheep, and feed the sheep, and love the sheep, and selflessly and unselfishly and sacrificially be willing to sacrifice himself and his own personal and self-interest for the good of the flock. That's what Jesus is saying here about the good shepherd. It's interesting to notice the similarity between the shepherd of the psalmist in the familiar 23rd Psalm and the good shepherd that we have here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Literally here, bring life to, animation, reactivating. How often our souls need that. And needless to say, though the ideal is extremely high, a very lofty concept, but needless to say, the undertaker will seek to lead the, the flock in green pastures 
besides still water. The picture here of abundance, of ample provision, of security, of a sensitivity to the needs of the sheep. You see, sheep quite literally do not want to be by the rushing water. They're not good swimmers. The heavy coat of wool makes it almost impossible for them to survive. And so they want to be brought to the still water, the green pasture. They need something that will revive them. Sometimes there is a need for the paths of righteousness. And in the east, there were paths that would be hard to pursue. And the docile sheep would hardly be able to find their way, but the shepherd leads in the right paths, or what the psalmist calls the paths of righteousness. And even the valley of the shadow, and there was a literal place that could be thus designated would be a place in which the shepherd leads skillful. He anoints the head. Some believe that in the 23rd Psalm, the picture changes from the agrarian scene of a shepherd to the banquet scene. But I'm of a mind that we have the same picture throughout. And at the end of the day, the shepherd stands in the door of the sheepfold. He may literally be the door and will anoint the head of the sheep with oil and will soothe the bruises. He'll care for the sheep. And I don't believe it's pressing it too much, though I understand that the reference is to the Lord, certainly in John 10, to God in the 23rd Psalm. But it's not pressing it at all too far to say, as we look at the great terms that are used in the New Testament to describe the under-shepherds, and we see that among them there is this word poimain, which literally means a shepherd, appearing, for example, in John 10 with regard to our Lord. And we understand from the 10th chapter of John, the 23rd Psalm, something of the great idea. Then we are made to feel something of the care, the love, the solicitude, the concern, the knowing of the sheep. That is to characterize those who serve as pastors or shepherds in the church of our Lord. So really in the New Testament, there are only three terms translated by about two words apiece. And so we have five or six words appearing in the English Bible. But back of them, three terms, presbyteros, meaning an older man, translated elder or transliterated presbyter. We have the term episkopos, which comes out overseer, or bishop, the former, I believe, being preferable. And then we have poimain, which means a pastor or a shepherd. And the last term tells us a great deal about the work. Now then, if you've got your testament, follow with me as we look at some of the great passages. And I think, first of all, we'll just present the passages. And then we'll attempt some observation and some synthesis of this material. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Peter is guided to write, The elders which are among you I exalt, whom also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partake of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you. In other translations, ten, the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, or not of constraint in some translations, but willingly, not of constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre's sake, but of a ready mind, and neither as Lord over God's heritage, but as examples to the flock. Taking us through verse 3 and verse 4, when the chief shepherd shall appear, then shall you receive the crown of glory that fades not away. 
Remember this passage, it's an important one as we study the work of elders or the work of pastors within the church of our Lord. The elders which are among you, I exhort, feed or tend. Poimeno, the verb here, tend to the noun that means shepherd. Feed, tend is a better rendering. Shepherd or pastor, the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint or not of constraint, but willingly, not fulfill the Luther's sake, but of a ready mind, neither as lords over God's heritage, but as examples to the flock. Now go with me to the Acts passage, Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30. Notice especially verse 28. The scene here is a touching one. There's tears shed on this occasion. Fervent prayer is brought before the throne of grace as Paul makes a parting here with the Ephesian elders. And in this passage we hear him pray, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. And the, all the flock over the which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, that you feed the church of God which is purchased with his own blood. And this I know, that after my departing, grievous wolves shall enter in, not sparing the flock. And even from among your own selves shall men arise, seeking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Let me make one comment. I'm reserving comment till we brought the passages before us, but let me quickly say one thing here lest I forget. Sometimes you may find yourself in discussion with those who would distinguish between bishops and elders. Historically, one of the very first departures was a departure that made this distinction. And before long, you had a bishop, the monarchial bishop or president bishop, over the presbytery or elders. The distinction is not a valid one. In Acts 20 and 17, Paul calls the Ephesian elders to Miletus. And these elders that he calls to Miletus, he calls overseers or bishops. Bishops from the word episcopal here, and so he calls them bishops or overseers in Acts 20, 28. We see then unavoidably that these terms refer to the same work, that the distinction is not valid that the elders of Acts 20 and 17 are the bishops or the overseers of Acts 20 28. And by the way, the verb from which we get the word in the noun form, pastor, appears here when Paul says, feed the church of God which is purchased with his own blood. So, elders are bishops and they're also pastors. I know I puzzle some people on the telephone, but I've done this a time or two. I try to be sensitive to the conceptions or misconceptions under which we might uh, labor. And sometimes people will call and ask, are you the pastor? And I'll say, no, we've got seven and I'm not one of them. But that's true. And so this word refers to those who serve in the great work that we're discussing. And you can actually take Acts 20 or the first Peter uh, 5 passage. The elders which are among you I exhort, ten, that is, pastor the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight. And there's a word, tend to the word, from which we get bishop or overseer. All right, we've got these two passages before. First Peter 5, I exhort the elders, tend or feed the flock of God, and then Acts 20, uh, elders, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed, that is, tend, the church of the Lord or the church of God which is purchased with his own blood. 
Now to that, let's add a passage in Titus 2, verses 9 to 11. I'm aware that this comes right with or after the qualification and might be considered a part of the qualification. But it really tells us about the work of the elders or overseers, bishops. Paul writes this, Titus 1, verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by the sound doctrine both to exhort and convince or convict the gainsayers. For there, there are many vain and unruly talkers, unruly and vain talkers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, overthrow whole houses, teaching things they ought not for filthy Luther's faith. As you look carefully at Titus 1, 9 and following, you see that the bishop or overseer is to hold fast the faithful word that he may be able by the sound doctrine both to exhort and convince or convict. The latter word meaning to refute, to confute, to convince. By argumentation and in context, that from Scripture, the gainsayer. Now then, listen to the language of 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17 and 18. Here we find Paul writing, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially if they labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his hire. The elders that rule well, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. I believe Good Seed translates that preaching and teaching. Now to all of this, one more passage. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourself, for they watch for your soul. As they that must give an account, that they do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourself, for they watch for your soul. I suppose if I were pressed, to give a single sentence or single verse definition of the work of the pastor or shepherd in the church of our Lord, it would be this passage. They watch or so. Now, if you followed carefully the scriptures that we've used, there is a picture that should be distinctly emerging at this point. There is a great ministry to be performed in the kingdom. It involves the stewardship of souls. The late Jesse P. Sewell wrote an article on this great work, and that was the caption or title that he gave it, Stewardship of Souls. The pastor, the shepherd, the overseer, the elder in the church of our Lord is one who watches for souls. His ministry is therefore a tending ministry and a teaching ministry. He is to tend to Poimano, to shepherd the flock of God which is among you. I would pause to say here, very simply but clearly, that it is, I'm convinced, both a practical and a biblical impossibility for him to really effectively tend the flock of God that is remote and removed from him by many, many miles away. He may counsel, he may make ad, uh, suggestions or give advice, but so far as really watching for souls and doing this great work, it 
watching, tending the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre's sake but of a ready mind. I would also mention here something that we may develop later. The warning, not for filthy lucre's sake, in connection with taking the oversight, confirms, I think, what ought to be very clear in 1 Timothy 5. The double honor of that passage may include support. This is not to say that every elder must be supported, but it is to say that there is clear biblical authority for the support of men to give their time to the great work of shepherding and watching for souls. Now, I need to summarize quickly. I feel constrained to say the series may be longer than I thought. It takes longer to say some of this than I thought it might take. But I do want to say this. I think we suffer from a misconception, brethren. Let me just say it frankly and just come to a point here that I want us to see, and I hope it's clear. I think we have the tendency to look upon this as primarily an executive, administrative position where some measure of autocratic authority is employed in what is chiefly a decision-making role. I do not believe and I trust, my friend, that you would concur as you look at this material in the New Testament that that's really what the New Testament is saying. Now, this is not to say that elders do not make decisions. They do. And those decisions we regard and respect and we obey them that have the rule over us and we submit ourselves. But it is to say that the work is not exclusively, and I'm of a mind it may not even be primarily decision-making, so that's part of it. But it is rather the work of shepherding. It is the work of feeling for and being concerned about people and seeking to meet their spiritual needs by tending, by shepherding, by teaching, by holding fast the faithful word, and by being able to exhort and to convict. And this then is a kind and quality of teaching that will lead and that will feed and that will direct. And the idea and the concept that would see elders as being simply or primarily like board members on a corporation, voting I'm for it or again it, in many cases the latter, you know. And that's chiefly the role. Friend, that's not the New Testament picture. Yes, they make decisions. Yes, they meet. And the good and godly men who serve here, and I'll say again what I've said other times and in print. This is the best eldership with which I've been privileged to work. These men meet, and they have meetings, and they'll tell you that. Lots of time is spent in meetings. But that's not the limit of the work. It's a work of shepherding, of pastoring, of watching for souls. One then who is easily entreated. One then who has stored up the word, who holds fast then to sound doctrine and the faithful word as he's been taught, one who is able to share this and communicate this and work with people and lead people and guide people is the kind of one who is to serve in this great work because it is a work of shepherding. That's the job. That's the task. That's the responsibility. And there is a need, I think, in the church generally today to look again at this great work. There's some words that Greek, uh, Greek writers would use for inherent autocratic authority. Exousia is one of them. 
It appears in the Mark 10 passage where our Lord said the Gentiles have their great ones who lord it over them. And he uses that word. That word and other words similar to it are not used. In connection with the work of elders, there's a sense in which they're to rule well. 1 Timothy chapter 5. There's a sense in which we obey them that have the rule over us. But the New Testament does not talk in terms of the kind of leadership that was demonstrated by the Gentiles who have their great ones who lord it over them. If you'll endure a poor pun sometimes in some places, and we've been blessed here. There's been too much exousia in the ecclesia. There's been too much of this kind of leadership that Jesus said characterizes the Gentiles, but it shall not be so among you. And that word and some others like it are conspicuous by their absence when the New Testament writers talk about elders. There is a sense in which they rule. And the word used there in 1 Timothy 5 also appears in 1 Timothy 3 in connection with the qualification as Paul talked about ruling their own household and having their household in subjection with all gravity. So they do make decisions. Their leadership is to be respected. We're to obey them and have the rule over us. But this is not simply a decision-making body. And so the primary characteristics need not be business acumen, need not be the kind of characteristics that would seem to cause one to surge to the top within our world. Some of those among the Gentiles who lorded it over them would have made poor leaders in the church if they maintained that same style of leadership. This is shepherding. This is the work of pastoring of knowing people and leading people and feeding people and loving people and being ready to lay down one's own life or self-interest in behalf of the flock that elders are serving. I think I'm going to have to say more about the work, and I'll reserve that until a later time. But I want to share with you a bit of verse that's been helpful to me, a kind of tribute and I think much deserved by seven godly men who serve here. And I think maybe it'll help us appreciate this work as we study it together from the viewpoint of work and qualifications. And as we said tonight, first of all, work. And then later we'll talk about qualifications. If you've had the faithful elders as the captain here, if you've had a father's tenderness, a shepherd's care, a leader's courage which the cross can bear, a ruler's love, a mother's watchful eye, a pilot's skill, the helm and storm to fly, a fisherman's patience, a laborer's toil, a guide's dexterity to disembroil, a prophet's inspiration from above, a teacher's knowledge and a savior's love. If all these you have, then you can say in that great day, all present and accounted for our Lord. And to you he will give that crown of glory that fadeth not away. What a load the shepherd's care. Let me say this about the last point we were making. Because it's better said by the inspired man than I could ever, ever say it. And this will ensure the fact that we're not misunderstood on the point that we were making about this kind of leadership. Neither as large over God's heritage, but as examples to the flock. Great work of shepherds. What a load the shepherds care. A great, a great reward awaits, but a great role and responsibility rests upon the shoulders of those who carry this great work. 
I urge that you continue your study, and we'll do that, in the New Testament of this great work and later the qualification necessary to the work. And now as we bring our study to a close and to a focal point tonight, let me remind you that the Hebrews writer and also the inspired Peter on occasion refers to our Lord as the shepherd of our souls. He is, as we've seen in John 10, the good shepherd. And he calls us to come into the fold and to come into this great flock over which he exercises protection and care. He fulfills the ideal of Ezekiel 34, a passage we want to consider later in this series. He is then that good shepherd who comes providing the abundance and the plenty and the protection that we need. And he calls you tonight to come to him. You do that by believing in him with all your heart, by turning, by repenting of sin, by confessing with the mouth, Jesus is Lord, and upon that confession being baptized into his death for the forgiveness of your sins. And as a consequence of this, it could then be said of you that he knows you and you know him, and he gives unto you eternal life, and you have the promise that no man will be able to pluck you out of the Father's hand. For Jesus said, the Father which gave them is greater than all. No man's able to pluck them out of the Father's hand. That's the kind of provision. That's the kind of life. That's the kind of security that we can have in him. And he calls you. It might be that you are a member of his great flock and you've come into that fold. But you've recently come into this community and you need to come under the under-shepherd of a particular local congregation. We'd urge you to cast your lot with us here and to become a part of this good congregation and this growing congregation and to serve under these good men who serve as elders here. If you're responsive to the imitation of our Lord in any way, we urge you to come now while we stand and sing.